Good morning, Lake Point Church. So glad that you could join us here. Can you believe it? In two weeks from today, we get to be back in our building and we can't wait to be back worshiping with you in person. Of course, I know not everybody's coming back. Some of you are still not ready for that. That's okay. We'll have live services online. You'll be able to watch us even if you can't be here in the building. But July 12th cannot happen soon enough. And uh, it, it's been a journey the last three months or so. And uh, with this whole virus and pandemic, it has been a journey. It's been an uh, interesting time for sure. But uh, I just want to say this. I want to thank my, my co-worker, Pastor Tom, for all the hard work. We, with, with everything he's done, uh, we would not have been able to do weekly service uh, without the help of Pastor Tom. And he had put in long hours, long weeks, and, uh, to, so that we could have service every Sunday morning. Uh, so at this moment, this is a great time for you to get a heart shape. Take that heart shape if you're on Facebook and thumb, you know, two thumbs up. I mean, hashtag, we love Tom, however you want to roll. But uh, we got to give some props to Pastor Tom. And then here's what's going to happen. The next two Sundays, you're not going to hear from me. You're going to hear from Pastor Tom. And God is going to be using him today and next Sunday. Uh, and the next two Sundays. So I hope you'll uh, be with us and, and, and celebrate with, you know, the message that we're about to hear. To be in tune with the message that Pastor Tom is going to bring. And so I hope you enjoy it. Let's give it up for Pastor Tom. I know this is going to be really hard to believe for a lot of you, but uh, I am used to being the weirdest person in the room. <laughs> when uh, even in elementary school, I, I would get picked on a lot. I was definitely the guy that knew the most about Star Wars. I went to a Christian school and was obsessed with Ghostbusters, and I had a proton pack. And let me just tell you that my Baptist friends would freak out. One of my favorite memories was going to Sunday school and uh, my mom, even though she was the church organist, she still knew how to have fun. Um, but you were not allowed to dance or go to movies back then. So loving Ghostbusters and Star Wars was one problem. And then one day for Sunday school, I go in and I remember going up to my sweet little old lady Sunday school teacher and I told her about a wedding that I had gone to the night before. And I was like, gosh, I'm so tired today because we were dancing all night. That led to a meeting. <laughs> I just know what it's like to be a little strange and for people uh, uh, for people not quite to get me. And I remember there was one kid in particular who just loved to pick on me. He just hated my guts and I did not know why. And he called me mean things and one year in particular was just a very bad year to pick on Tommy. It was a bad year because that's when my parents' marriage had fallen apart and there was divorce and you know how terrible that that could be and my dad left town on the first day of the sixth grade as if middle school is not hard enough everything was getting redefined and then the guy who always managed to pick on me well he didn't run away fast enough that day see that was the thing that he could do is he could say whatever he wanted to me and then he would just run and I'm a kid who's always enjoyed carbohydrates, so I just could not catch up with him. So I'd be like trying to chase him down and he would yell back at me, whatever. And one day at gym class, he had mouthed off to me. I don't remember what he said. I just remember 
but he was chilling out by the lockers, or not by the lockers, but by the bleachers. And he was leaning up against it. And then, like a beautiful great white shark, doo doo, I caught up to him. And I demonstrated to this bully that it is possible for a human being to fly if hefted with the right momentum. And I sent him flying. Now, I regretted it eventually, but not in the moment. In the moment, I felt justified. I was like, finally, this guy who would throw things at me, who would call me terrible names. And for whatever reason, they just didn't do anything about bullies back then. You know, it was just kind of a part of life that you dealt with. But I felt like I had justice. And later that day, later that day, I saw him crying in a corner. And when I saw him crying in a corner, I was like, whatever. You know, he's just being a wuss. He got what, it is, what he deserved. And I found out later in that day when somebody came up to me and he said, hey, you know, Joe, I know he's mean, man, but did you really have to toss him like that? And I was like, I absolutely did. <laughs> and it turned out that at the same time that I was going through a tragedy, that I had watched my mom and dad's marriage fall apart, his mom and dad's marriage had fall apart at the exact same time. The guy who was hurting me was hurting me out of a hurt place. And eventually, we found out that the two enemies, the two people with the most friction in the class, were the two people with the most in common. That was a tar hard day. That was a hard, hard day. But I'm telling you, I learned something really important about what it means to share humanity with people who aren't anything like me. And in fact, not only are they not like me, they hurt me. But if I can take the time to have a relationship with them, I might learn something different. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Something that you, you learn really early on is that um, if you've ever heard a pastor give an invitation, some people call it, it's, uh, it's when we kind of give you a chance to respond to who Jesus is and what he's done, uh, we invite you to get saved. We use the word like saved because we literally believe that Jesus came here on a rescue mission, that he came to seek and to save those who were lost. We believe that with our whole heart. And a lot of times if you hear a pastor talk about it, he'll say, it's easy. All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner confess your sins, and then say, Jesus, I'm asking you into my life to be Lord, to be in control. I'm handing you the keys. I cannot be in control, and I want you to totally take over. And here's what I, what I found out. Becoming a Christian is easy, but following Jesus is very, very difficult. In fact, if you study the word Christian, uh, you'll find out that uh, that's not what the original followers of Jesus even called themselves. If you start reading the gospel and the letters that are written to the ancient church, you'll quickly find out that they didn't refer to themselves that way at all. In fact, it was a title that was used by others and it was probably a derogatory term. It literally meant one who was associated with Christ. Cool. But the reason that we think that it might have been derogatory, if you look in Acts chapter 11, at kind of the back end of the verse, there was a guy named Luke who was chronicling everything that was happened and he had investigated. We know that he was a doctor and he was investigating who Jesus was, the impact that, that he was having in the world, and he was trying to figure things out. And he wrote that the disciples were called Christians first 
at a place called Antioch. The reason that Antioch had to come up with a title is because Christians were weird. They were making a mess of things. They were already weird. Clearly, they're my people. We know that it was a derogatory term. Um, it, and it was interesting because when it says the disciples, who do you think that they're talking about? Well, they're not talking about like Jesus's original 12 disciples. In fact, anybody who followed Jesus before and after the resurrection were usually called disciples. But the people of Antioch, they probably didn't call them that because there were all different kinds of disciples going on back there. Um, people were following different rabbis. They were following different teachers. There were a lot of new philosophies that were coming into place at the time. So a disciple of, of what? Uh, one definition of Christian is actual little Christ. But they had to come up with a title because to them, these Christians that just showed up were more like a cult. It was a sect. And one way that they would describe it is they would call it the sect of Nazareth. Now, anytime you hear Nazareth referred to in the Bible, they literally make fun of it. One Bible verse is, says, what good has ever come from Nazareth? They were literally making fun of how they thought that these people were following something that was beneath them. So that's why we think it was probably derogatory, because if you were associated with that weird cult out of that weird region, that today was so podunk, we have a hard time figuring out on the map exactly where Nazareth was. You got to imagine, being called a Christian, you were actually looked down on. Regardless of what people thought about Jesus and what they thought about Christians at the time, one of my favorite stories to look back to is to look back to how Jesus would treat people. You see, when I struggle with my faith, and there are days, my friends, where I deeply struggle with my faith, it's usually not the existential threat of whether or not there's a God of the universe. Do you know what throws off my faith? Other people that I know who share the same faith as me. I, I look at how other people act or how other people behave, and that makes me say things like, I don't know if I can be a part of this. I don't know if I've got the same thing in me. And I get really confused, and I'll be honest, I get a little judgmental. And to kind of like fix everything, I go back to Christ because I know that that's not how Jesus looks at people and I certainly hope that that's not how he looks at me. I was trying to explain to uh, my now 10-year-old daughter, I've raised a person for a decade, that's just wild for us, but I was talking to her and she was asking me some questions about, uh, about Jesus and I loved the conversation and I'll, I framed it to her the same way I want to frame to you, what do I do when I doubt? No matter what you could say about what it is to have faith in something that you cannot see. I keep thinking about this man that no historian argues about whether or not he walked this earth. Existed on this planet. And the very empire that lasted for a thousand years was immediately changed forever. From a poor man with no resources, but nothing but love, power, authority, kindness and humility changed the entire world. He did it by the way that he loved people that nobody else was willing to love. I don't know about you, but that's who I want to be like. I used to teach people what it was, uh, a thing called apologetics. It's this idea of how you can make an explanation of the mysteries of this world, specifically in faith. And 
I would go through different questions that people would ask Christians that we need to be prepared to have an answer for. And at the end of the list of questions that I thought that Christians needed to be prepared for was something that they couldn't answer. It was actually the question asker has to answer it based on their experience with you. The question asker would have to say, do I want to be anything like you? Do I want to be anything like you? And with my whole heart, I want to be like Jesus. And I will tell you that becoming a Christian is easy, but following Jesus, that's where it gets complicated because he did complicated things. And one of my favorite stories of how I've learned how Jesus treats people is this guy named Zacchaeus. If you grew up going to church, you know that he had a humiliating little song, Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. That's just awesome for history. The dude makes it into the Bible and we're like, you know, but short. So, so we talk about him and this is out of the book of Luke, the same guy who tells us about the word Christian documents this. Jesus enters this place called Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. The problem with tax collectors is that they were considered to be treacherous. They were often Jewish people who sold out to Rome. They sold out to people who were murdering people of the same faith because they wanted to make money. They had a deep-seated history in disrespect and they hated people like Zacchaeus. And yet, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Isn't it interesting how when a crowd gathers, that frequently it prevents the least of these to be able to have access to Christ. And he is looking out for the people who want to see him, but can't, not just the people who have the greatest availability to see him. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree. In fact, uh, it was a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, and when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Can you imagine being in the crowd, thinking finally there's this guy that loves people. Finally, there's this guy who has power and talks about God. And he's going to talk to a traitor? He's going to talk to one of the most evil and vile among us. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Verse seven actually puts it this way. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus sacrifices his reputation, sacrifices his place of influence. It cost Jesus something to go to the house of something that people just naturally grew up not trusting, that people had been abused by. People who, think about this, Zacchaeus probably cost people their lives. We know that the export of the day was balsa, and that balsa was actually a medication. That meant that there were probably fathers and mothers who lost their children because they didn't have the money to get their kids taken care of, and Jesus goes to that guy's house? How dare he? But he does. He immediately goes to that guy's house and everything changes. All the people saw this and began to mutter. I wonder what the hashtag would have been. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. 
And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because Jesus was in his house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and he says, I decide who you are now. And it happens because Jesus goes into his home. Following Jesus, if you're gonna be like him, your reputation might get ruined. Man, this, is, this has been such a tough, tough season for us as a country and just as a member of planet Earth right now. And we are so quick to, uh, to write each other off. And I, most of you, if you're watching the sermon online, I know a lot of people have written me and said, hey, I'm just, I'm gonna watch on YouTube, not on Facebook because of the vitriol that's happening there and the conversation that's not happening there, accusations that are happening there. It's hard, it's hard. I mean, right now, I don't even know if I'm allowed to wear a mask <laughs> without being pegged as a certain kind of person or if I take it off, then I'm that kind of person. And, we make these snap decisions about it. But for Jesus, when he knew specifically that a man had done evil, he would still go to his house. And that's where life change happened. Following Jesus costs you something. One thing that we know specifically is when Peter would eventually say, Peter who knew Jesus one of the best and he was one of the last ones to, to survive eventually because if you followed Jesus with your whole heart back then, it could cost your life. After the resurrection, people were getting killed for it. They were willing to be. And he would always explain this, that Jesus's greatest priority was to introduce the kingdom of heaven to earth. Jesus was the king who came to reverse the order of things. So to follow Jesus then and to follow Jesus now requires us to live in a different direction. To some extent, following Jesus now is to live countercultural. And Jesus made this abundantly clear in how he preached, how he engaged with people, and how he called us to follow him. Jesus, he literally expects to do good for those who won't do good for us. He expects us to live like him. He expects us to do good for people who don't even like us for people who would disagree with us. And it's no wonder that I do this all the time that we reduce our faith to a label, right? Are you a Christian are you, or are you not? Are you in or, or are you out? And at the end of the day, we can all try to explain what being a Christian is to a level that we're completely comfortable with it. Honestly, right now, it's easier to do good for a stranger than to do good for an offender. It's easier to love people who and I, I, I want to put this on your screen. It's easier to love people who look like me, who think like me, who live like me, and to agree with me. It's easier to be a Christian than it is to be a Jesus follower. And, and, and I'll tell you why. I think it's easier because to be a Christian in our current climate is more about what we believe instead of how we act. And that is what I think our world is looking at and saying, if you believe, then you have to act. And I think Jesus calls us the same way, that there has to be action. 
when Paul would talk about faith, hope, and love, if I was to tell you that love was about the actions that we take, not the emotions that we have, you would nod your head. If I was to say to you that faith is not just believing in the things that are unseen, but is also taking action based on the fact that you believe because you have assurance in Christ, faith is activity. I would say that also hope is something that we take activity and action in then I believe that to follow Jesus is all about the activity that we have. That's why I think he responds so well when somebody comes to Jesus and says, help me with my unbelief. Our world is desperate not for our beliefs and our perfectly formed theologies. Our world is desperate to see us following Jesus so that we can show them the way. You can believe all the right things. You can believe You can believe this beautiful idea that all men and women are created equal. And you'll believe that all people are created in the image of God and that they have intrinsic worth and that they have divinely assigned value. I think you'd agree with that statement. I think you would agree with how C.S. Lewis even put it. He said that there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, those things are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But these human beings, it is immortals whom we joke with, that we marry, that we snub and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We have to play. But our merriment must be of the kind, in fact, it's the best kind, that exists between people from the outset who take each other seriously with no flippancy, no superiority, and no presumption. You can believe from the bottom of your heart that a person's value and dignity is not assigned by men, but it's assigned by God. But if you have not decided to follow Jesus, that means to act. If I have only decided to believe in Jesus, then my faith ends at the moment of belief. And therefore, so does the meaning. And therefore, so does the cost. I just think we're called to more. And I believe it costs more because of the way that my Savior lives. If we have not decided to follow Jesus, but we have only decided to believe, we will not act. We will not act on what we claim to believe when it costs us something. And we will not react when we see people treated unjustly and unkindly. Jesus saw this coming. So never doubt the foresight of the one who actually created light, my friends. If you read his most famous sermon that we traditionally call the Sermon of the Mount, he reserved his closing with some of the harshest words for those people that they could hear. He says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You know how this goes, right? The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as just teachers of the law. Remember when I told you about the guy who used to pick on me and he was a bully? Eventually, him and I 
had a connection. We became friends because of this awesome dude that came to the NBA named Shaquille O'Neal. When Shaq showed up, things changed because that guy would grab a rim and pull it down like it had done something wrong. And Joe and I thought that that was the coolest thing ever. We loved that. There were toys back then where all he would do was break the backboard. It was not the most creative toy, but we thought he was awesome. We also found out that our moms and dads, they had gone through something really similar, that our dads were both incredibly charming, incredibly funny. And though we never became friends, eventually we came to a place where we had a mutual kind of respect for each other. In elementary school, we actually held each other in pretty high regard. What's wild to me is that I had full right to never be close to that guy. In fact, you could say that it would have been a healthy boundary for me to get away from a bully. But when I found out that there was something else going on in his life that I thought maybe I could understand, but I didn't understand why he was treating me so badly, I did something really reckless. I approached him and I asked how he was doing. And I told him, my parents are having a hard time too. See, my friends, I, I just really believe with my fullest heart that people don't care what you know until they know what you care, that you care. And that the greatest change that you could ever impact in somebody's life is not going to be about what you say you believe. And it's probably not going to happen in the middle of a church service, no matter how ridiculously good the music and preaching is at Lake Point. <laughs> I think the best life change happens when we enter into Zacchaeus' house and when it happens at his table. I got the sweetest thing said to me just two days ago by one of my best friends who, who doesn't look at Jesus the same way that I do. And he said this, he said, Tom, I've known a lot of crazy Christians. And I nod my head and be like, yeah, me too. Yeah, we're out there. <laughs> he said, no matter what, when I'm struggling with whether or not that Christians have anything left to say, I realize, but I know Tom, and I know he's not like that, but I know Tom. The fact that he knows me makes a difference. I'm not an idea to him. I'm not something to be wrestled with based on ideas. The reason that Matt will talk to me about Jesus is because he knows Tom. My friends, the best life change happens when we sit at the table with each other not when we paste our assumptions onto each other. And I'll tell you that I'm one of the first people to be guilty about that. I look at uh, buzz phrases and catch words that go around and I kind of paste assumptions onto people. Problem with doing that is that there is zero love in it. And also, because if I talk to somebody who doesn't agree with everything that, uh, that I currently agree with, in fact, the people who are conservative in my life think I'm liberal, and my liberal friends think I'm conservative, and I kind of love the confusion. Nothing really has changed since elementary school as far as being the weird one in the room, and I kind of like it. I've just realized that the fact is, is that we really don't know each other until we actually know each other. If you see somebody in this world who's trying to be heard, and is trying to be seen, and is climbing up in a tree to do it, go to them. Don't just say, come to where I'm at. Go to where they're at. Discover their life. You know, when Jesus walked in, he saw the way that Zacchaeus was living. When Jesus walks into his house, nobody else could see what Jesus was seeing. 
When Jesus walked in, he knew that he only had three years of ministry on this world. And it was going to set him back. But he loved Zacchaeus. And you couldn't stop him. You couldn't stop him. It's easier to be a Christian and believe the things that Jesus said. It's hard to follow him into Zacchaeus' house. I'll sum it up with this. Any person who has ever made a true difference in this world has lost a lot to do it. I, I know that even as I'm preaching, you're kind of wondering, uh, some people are kind of wondering right now, does he like, have like a hidden thing that he's trying to say? Like, am I trying to, you know, <laughs> like some people are like, oh, he's got some agenda out there. I really don't. I would just invite you into the depths of the water that is our Jesus and be willing to follow him and be willing to let other people think differently of you for the rest of your life because you've got one chance. Follow Jesus and listen before you speak. And don't listen from the comfort of your normalcy. We have to go to them. Jesus said, I have come to seek. Something that, uh, that Pastor Ken Neither said a few weeks ago is he said, look at your last 10 text messages. Are they diverse? I would say, are they diverse in race? Are they diverse in belief? Do they have major things that they disagree with you about? Do they know that you love them because Christ first loved you? The greatest thing that you can do with your life is say, Jesus, I put my reputation on the line for you. Jesus, I put my finances on the line for you. I put my finances on the line for you. Jesus, my life, my death, it's for you. May we give people permission to walk into other homes. I love you so much. Thank you for allowing us into your home. And uh, let me pray for you now. So God, in this unsettled time, may we ask not just what did you do, but what are you doing? And may we follow you. May we extend immense grace to people who are responding to the current acts of our world differently than how we think they should. Because we know that at the end of the day, Jesus would still go to their house. May we no longer throw accusations that we're not doing enough or that we're doing too much, but we say, Lord, I surrender. I will take the opportunity to love the next Zacchaeus that I meet. In fact, I'll go looking for him. We pray these things with desperation and hope that you would be the author, perfecter of our faith, and the savior of our world. And it's in your name that we all pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. If you have a next step to take, we encourage you to text the word next step and attach it to the number on your screen. Also, um, thank you for your generosity. Some of you have been faithful in the way you've been given. Whether you mail it to us um, or some of you drop it off, which is perfectly okay. You can drop off your checks or your offering. And, uh, and some of you do it online. And uh, if you'd like to give online, uh, you can simply text the word LPGIF to the number on the screen and I'll send you a link where you can uh, give your offering to the Lord so that we can continue to do the mission here at Lake Point Church. And you know, the church never stopped. The church never stopped being the church. 
this whole time. Uh, we kept being the church, and uh, because of your generosity, we were able to be the church here in our community. And, uh, and by the way, we are, we've got a, an awesome opportunity coming up to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We have, uh, we're gonna partner with an organization, a, a local organization called McRess. It's an um, organization many of you might know about. And this, this coming next weekend, uh, we're gonna be helping out with uh, providing food and meals for over 60 uh, homeless individuals. And uh, you can bring your meal to the food pantry and all that information, check it out on the screen, uh, on the Facebook, and the email that you'll be getting. If you've got any questions, you can email to amber at amber at latepointchurch.org. And just say, hey, I'd like to know more information. She can connect you with how you can be involved with the McCraft this coming week. And, uh, and, and, and we can't wait. In two weeks, two weeks from today, we'll be back in our building. Be, be on the lookout for some more information to come. I hope that you enjoy the service, and I hope you have a great week. We love you. We're praying for you. If there's anything we can do for you, don't hesitate to let us know. God bless you, and have a great day.